Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Glad to have you with us today. If you're a guest with us, welcome to you. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Southview, and it is an honor to have you worshiping with us today. Before we get going, I have just a couple of quick announcements I want to throw your way just so you know what's going on here, how you can stay connected and plugged in at Southview. I've got big three announcements for you for this week, all right? One is this, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. All through December, we're taking up money for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. That is the offering that's for international missions so that missionaries can go to the ends of the earth taking the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And we encourage you to take some time this month to be in prayer about how you can give. You can give either in the giving boxes as you leave. Just mark your envelope, Lottie Moon or Christmas offering. All of that will go straight to that, or you can give online and designate it as Lottie Moon, whatever works best for you, but encourage you to do that. Our goal this year is $20,000 as a congregation, so be in prayer about how you can give for that. Uh, Secondly, 
December 16th, we're having Cocoa Carols and Chili Cook-Off. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a lot of fun. Chance to come together, uh, sing some Christmas carols, uh, drink some hot chocolate, and eat some fantastic chili. Uh, going to do a big chili cook-off with judges and the whole thing. Got a whole line of people set uh, to uh, be in the competition. And if you're going to come to that, I encourage you directly after the 11 o'clock service, we're going to have a quick meeting um, in the multimedia room. FLC, uh, just go out of eye door, go that way, and you'll run into it, okay? Um, just a quick meeting just to kind of let you know what's going on, what you can expect to be a part of. So don't forget that, December 16th. And then lastly, uh, the Christmas rundown for us, Christmas weekend, is going to be a lot of fun. We've got two things we want you to be aware of. Number one is this, Sunday, December 24th, Christmas Eve, we're going to have one service here at 11 o'clock. We're going to be finishing up our series on the cast of Christmas, looking at Jesus as obviously the main central focus of the Christmas story. That's going to be uh, Sunday, December 24th, 11 o'clock in here. No kids ministry, no youth, no journey groups, just one service in here here 11 o'clock on December 24th and then that evening five o'clock we're going to have our annual Christmas Eve candlelight service come and be a part of that it's one of the highlights of the year it's just an amazing time to come together and set our hearts on Jesus so that's going to be Christmas Eve at five o'clock don't forget either of those things and then for everything else all our other announcements Go uh, download the app on your phone, iTunes or Google Play. You can find groups. You can get announcements. You can sign up for things. You can find um, uh, notes for sermons, past sermons, all of that. Don't forget that. Download the app. Uh, you can also give through the app or in the giving boxes as you leave, whatever is best and simplest for you. And if you are a guest with us today, I want to encourage you to do two things for me, all right? If you're a guest with us, I know you're new. You're like, oh, no, they're going to ask me to do something. Really simple. Okay, one is this, if you're a guest, pull out your phone and text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298, just so we can get to know you, know who you are, how we can minister to you in the best way possible. Text that to our number, we would really appreciate that. Secondly, at the close of service today, my wife and I are going to be at the welcome desk in the back. Please come by and say hello. Just, uh, just come by so we can put a name with a face, know who you are, uh, and uh, just get to know you a little bit. So if you could do those two things for me today, I would wonderfully, wonderfully appreciate that. And now as we begin our worship time, I want to read some scripture to us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is scripture you're probably familiar with during the Christmas season. Isaiah 9, 6 says, for us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Think about just for a quick moment the titles that Jesus has given here. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful means amazing to the point of not even being able to understand it. Counselor, he's your guide. So in other words, when you allow Jesus to guide you, he does it in such an amazing way. It's almost unbelievable when you let God be the one to truly guide and direct your path. Mighty God. He's strong. He's powerful. There's nothing outside of his ability to handle. Everlasting Father. Everlasting means eternal, never-ending, 
No beginning, no end, always and forever. Father is the Hebrew word ab, and it doesn't mean just like dad, father, like physical father, but leader. In other words, Jesus is your forever eternal leader that's never going to leave you and never going to forsake you, never going to turn away from you, always going to be there. Prince of Peace. Jesus is the giver of all true peace. True, genuine, lasting peace can only come from him. He's the ruler of peace, the giver of peace, the authority of peace. He's the one who gives it. As you think about these titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, I want to ask you, which one of those just kind of resonates in your heart the most right now this morning? Maybe depending on where you are in life, what you're dealing with, what you're walking through, which one of those kind of resonates with you the most of, I need Jesus to be that for me. Today, do you need Jesus to be your wonderful counselor? You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You've made your own steps and kind of felt the consequences thereof. You need Jesus to guide you. Maybe you need to understand today that Jesus is your mighty God and no matter how big and scary and difficult the the situation is that you're in the midst of right now, there's nothing too big for him. He is the mighty God. Everlasting Father, you need to know today that Jesus is never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to abandon you. He's always going to be there. Prince of Peace, maybe today you need to know your true peace is only going to come from Jesus. You trust him to be the giver of I want to ask you to bow your heads for me today. And I want you just to take a moment. Think about one of these titles of God. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just think about one of those. Grab one of those. Take just a minute and meditate on that. Thank Jesus for being this for you. Ask him to make this even more real in your heart that you see him as who he is. That he would be this for you. Take just a minute before the Lord. Jesus, I just, I thank you. And right now today for me, the thing that resonates most for me is the fact that you are a wonderful counselor. Thank you, Jesus, that you guide me and you lead me. And when I truly submit myself to you and I trust you and I follow your path, you lead me in ways that are just unbelievable. Thank you for that. I need to see you as that today. And for everyone else here in this room, whatever it is that's resonating with them, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I pray today, Jesus, they see that you are this. And they can trust you for this. Thank you, God. Reveal yourself today in such a profound way. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with us as we worship together. And again, as we think about that scripture, Isaiah 9, 6... For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Jesus Christ is our ruler, our king, our Lord. He is our everything. There is nothing 
that goes above his head. There's no one that goes above his head. He rules and reigns over all creation. So today we worship our great God and King, Jesus Christ. Let's sing together.
Thank you. 
be seated. We are now ready to hear auditions for the role of Joseph. Hi, I'm Joe. Joe Stalman. Hey, Joe. Why are you auditioning for the role of Joseph today? Well, in all honesty, pound for pound, my wife wants me to. Oh? So this is not something you volunteered on your own? No. Say it ain't so, Joe. Can't. Wish I could, but wife says I'm kind of a caveman. In my own little world watching way too much Sports Center. Says I care way too much about NASCAR and hillbilly hand fishing than I do about giving back to the body of Christ. I see. Well, Joseph is a big role. The earthly father of the Messiah trekked a trail from their hometown to Bethlehem on foot over 300 miles to register for the census. Married a woman that was pregnant with the Son of God. Big shoes to fill. Yeah, about that. I should have probably just auditioned for a shepherd because all they do is watch sheep and keep to themselves. Again, my wife's idea for me to play Joseph because that's my full name. Joseph Arlene Stalman. Arlene? Yeah. My mom has a twin, and her sister's name was Arlene. I was the third child in the family, and no girls. Hence, I got my aunt's name as my middle name. Arlene. Embarrassing. Humiliating. Makes you just want to run and hide when your mom is mad and calls out your full name. Joseph Arlene Stalman. You put that cat down. God didn't put them on this earth for you to turn boomerangs out of them. Mama was always very sensitive towards the feline community. I guess someone needed to. You just might be perfect for the role of Joseph, Joe. Pound for pound, I'm just not seeing what you're seeing, I reckon. Here's the deal. All the emotions you have felt, the confusion, the embarrassment, humiliation, disillusionment, Joseph felt all of those. Uh... I've seen the live nativity scene. He always looks so happy looking down at Jesus. See, ain't none of them emotions in that manger. How do you think Joseph got to that moment? What do you think were the emotions going on in Joseph's heart, soul, and mind when the angel delivered the news that Mary would be with child, carrying the Son of God? Never thought about it like that. I guess I always just pictured him saying okay and be good with it. As you would say, pound for pound, it was probably a major blow to his world. He had to decide whether to follow what the angel Gabriel told him, as crazy as it sounded, or do what's best for him. Well, I'm more of a live and let live kind of guy. It's easier to be that way. But think about what it says in Luke 119. The angel Gabriel told Joseph, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Do you think this was good news at first for Joseph, or did he have to wrestle with what everyone would think? I'm guessing in some ways it was not his will be done, but God's will. Exactly. Kind of like my situation. Not my will, but my wife's. Now you've gone off track. Speaking of a union, Joseph, after hearing the news and being a righteous man, wanted to divorce Mary quietly so it wouldn't be brought out in the public. Back then, even during an engagement, it took two witnesses to legally get a divorce. 
He thought Mary was unfaithful, and it wasn't until the angel said to marry her and take her home that Joseph followed. Well, I reckon if Joseph felt and wondered all those things, maybe I am right for this role. I think you are. You know what? I'm ready. Put me in, coach. I think you nailed your audition with the simple realization it's not your will, but God's. His son would say the same exact thing 33 years later as he died for the sins of the world. Yeah, I'm sure glad he did that for me. I'll remember that as I'm staring at that little baby in the manger. I guess that's what you theater folks call getting into character? Something like that. All right, then. Uh, one more thing. Do I have to wear that uh, biblical robe thingy? You do. Can't we try to do it differently? I can wear my camo hunting pants. It's almost like a robe. Sorry, not your will. Yeah, I get it. Joe? Yes, sir? Give me that Joseph pose one more time. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Matthew chapter 1 together. All right, Matthew chapter 1. So we're in a series, the cast of Christmas, where we're looking at different people within the Christmas story and how God used each of them in just really amazing ways. We've seen so far the angel. We saw Herod. Today, we're going to be looking at... Jesus. And the truth is, we just don't know a lot. I'm asking Joseph. And, and, and the truth is, we just don't know a lot about Joseph. Um, Matthew chapter 13 calls him the carpenter. That word uh, in the Greek can be used for carpentry work with wood or masonry work with stone. And it's possible that he did both, especially if he built houses. Maybe he needed to lay a foundation, frame out a door, windows, that sort of thing. Um, we see that Joseph was very prominent in the early years of Jesus' life, right? He's there, the trek to Bethlehem. He's there at the birth. He's there fleeing to Egypt, away from Herod, coming back from Egypt, going to Nazareth. We even see him, Jesus, at the age of 12 in the temple, teaching the religious leaders. Joseph is there. Um, however, after that... The age of 12 for Jesus, Joseph just kind of falls off the biblical landscape. We don't see him anywhere else. Um, throughout Jesus' adult life and earthly ministry, you see Mary, his mother, popping up several times, but never Joseph. Uh, and the thinking is, at some point in between Jesus being age 12 and around age 30, Joseph died. Uh, which is why you see at the crucifixion of Jesus, <clears throat> Joseph looks at John and Mary, his mother, and says, you know, this is now your son. Son, this is now your mother. He's trying to make sure his mom is going to be taken care of because his dad, Joseph, is deceased. And, and I think this is really kind of a part of the plan of God. Uh, that Joseph died, uh, because if you just think about it practically, Jesus is going to be in his earthly ministry teaching and preaching. His big thing is obviously that he is the son of God. So imagine if he's like, I'm the son of God, and Joseph is over there, and people are like, well, what about that guy? 
So the truth is, when Joseph was selected to be the earthly father of Jesus, he was also being selected for a young death. Um, Sometimes being used by God to accomplish his will does not look the way that we think a good life should look. Does that make sense? Like sometimes it goes a different path because God is accomplishing something bigger than we can see or imagine. So you have Joseph. After Jesus is born, Joseph and Mary have a normal marriage. Um, We know from the Bible that uh, Joseph and Mary, after Jesus, had at least four sons in addition to Jesus and at least two daughters that we know of. He was a very quiet, simple, hardworking, blue-collar guy. He was not flashy. He never wrote a book. He never preached a sermon. He never led thousands. Yet, Joseph had to be a spiritual giant. Because think about it. He was hand-selected by God to take care of Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah. He was chosen by God, entrusted with the most important treasure in the universe. This guy had to be legit. He had to be a spiritual giant. I mean, think about it. So Marie and I, my wife, we have four kids. And if you have kids, if you're younger, right, a lot of times you have a will. And in that will, one of the things that you determine is, you know, if the situation arises, who is going to have care of your kids? Why do you do that? Because there are people in your family you don't want to have your kids. Right? You're like, uh, yes and no. If you take care over who you're going to entrust your children with, how much more do you think God took great care and selecting who Jesus was going to be entrusted to. You have Joseph, this simple, quiet, hardworking dude. You know what Joseph did? He woke up early in the morning. He went and worked hard. He made a good product at a fair price. Then he came home and he loved his family well. And that is the spiritual giant. God chose. What I want to encourage you with today as we see Joseph is changing a bit of the definition of what we think of as spiritual giants. We think of people who have big platforms and big ministries and crazy talented and everything they touch turns to gold. Like, oh, that guy's amazing. That guy's really being used by God. We don't think of people like Joseph. Simple, Humble, quiet, non-assuming. If Jesus was not the husband of Mary and not the earthly father of Jesus, no one would ever know he even existed. He would have very quietly slipped right off the landscape. 
But God knew something special about this man. And what I want you to see is, again, kind of changing our definition of what it means to be a spiritual giant, seeing Joseph as the model of what it means to be a man or a woman greatly used by God. So let's jump in together. Let's pick it up in verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. All right, quick, stop just for a quick second. Let's unpack this just for a moment. Uh, next week, in, um, oh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 1 and see Mary and the Holy Spirit conception of Jesus. We'll unpack that next week. But we see here that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. So what does that mean, betrothed? So, and uh, in this time period, Judaism, there's sort of three steps or stages to getting married. All right? Um, step one was engagement. Engagement typically happened when um, they were children. Right? It was arranged by the parents. Parents decided these two kids are probably going to get married. And so they would enter into this agreement, this arrangement that this girl and this boy would grow up and be married. And that was considered their engagement time. Then at some point in the future, probably around teenage years, they'd move into a time called betrothal. They would be betrothed. That was a one-year time period where it sort of kicked up into high gear and said, okay, it's time for these two to enter into marriage eventually. So this one-year time period allows the husband-to-be to get his finances in order, get his house together, ready to receive this woman as his wife and get everything prepared and ready. They're in that one-year betrothal period. And then at the end of that one year, they would be married. During the betrothal time, they're technically legally considered husband and wife, which is why you'll see that language in the Bible. However, they're not legally married yet. They're not living together. There are no sexual intimacy between the two. They're betrothed. It's sort of an engagement on steroids. So that's kind of where they're at right now, all right? That's why it'll say things like, they're husband and wife, but they're not married. You're like, wait, what does that mean? Well, because they're in the betrothal period, okay? So here's what happens. Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant, and uh, he's got a dilemma on his hands. So what happens? Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. We'll unpack that a little bit more uh, here in just a moment, but the basic upshot of it is, he was getting out of the relationship. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So this angel comes to Joseph in a dream. So now real quick. This dream is not like your dream, right? It's not like, you know, your dream last night where it's sort of been, it's, it's in your imagination, it's in your subconscious, and you wake up the next day, you're like, what does that mean? Like a dream to turn into a fish. What do you think that means? This is a little different. It's a dream, but at the same time, it's very much reality. It was a real angel, really sent by God, having an actual real conversation with Joseph, but in this dream state, all right? So it's a dream but it's reality. In fact, this is not unique here in the Gospel of Matthew. You see it several times 
where God speaks to people in this way. So it's in this dream, but it's very much reality. This angel speaks to him and says, hey, here's what I want. Verse 22. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So again, you see Joseph here listening to the angel and doing what he was told. Again, just this idea of Joseph, just this amazing giant of the faith. When I get to heaven, man, I want to talk to Joseph. He is one of my all-time favorites. Now, the truth is, people are always like, oh, when I get to heaven, first thing I'm going to do is sit. No. When you get to heaven, you're going to spend the first several billion years in all of Jesus just going. But eventually, I do think there will be time for us to engage with saints from other times. And one of the guys I want to get in line for is Joseph, man. Again, a giant of the faith that very easily gets kind of forgotten in the whole story. And I think because he's so unassuming, he sometimes gets missed. But listen to me, because he is so unassuming, he is the perfect example for you and I of what godliness needs to look like. Right? We look at these crazy examples and think, well, that's really someone being used by God. No. Joseph, hardworking, blue-collar, poor, uneducated, nothing about his life would make anyone look at him and think, that's the guy I want to be like. But God saw this simple man and said, I can use him. So what made Joseph this kind of guy that could be used by God for such an unbelievable task as being entrusted with the Savior of the world? So here's what I want to do. I want to walk back through the text a little bit, and I want to kind of put it together with four words. Four words that describe Joseph, and then I think should, by God's grace through faith in Jesus, describe us as well. So let's kind of walk through it together. First word is righteous. Righteous. We get that from verse 19 where it says that he was a just man. The word just means righteous, faithful, honorable. Joseph was a man of godly character. And you know what a godly man would do? He would look at a woman in this situation and say, I can't marry her. Joseph was being faithful to God's word. Again, hindsight gets to be 2020 for us. We get to look at the situation and think of it differently. Again, think about Joseph, right? He is betrothed to marry this girl that he has been promised since he was a small boy. His entire life has been built around Mary being his wife. And then one day Mary shows up. And she is very pregnant. And he knows it ain't me. What do you do? Well, he knows. God's word says, I can't marry her. 
He is faithful to God's word, even in a situation like this. He was a faithful, honorable, righteous, holy, devout man. And he knew, regardless of consequence, regardless of circumstances, regardless of the emotion involved, I have to stay true to God's word. God uses righteous men and women, men and women who will stay true to God and true to God's word regardless of circumstance or situation. What about you? Is that you? Are you a man? Are you a woman who seeks to live righteously before God regardless of what others around you might think, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation? I'm going to be faithful to God. Why does God use righteous people? There are people that God uses and people that God does not use. And again, what I want you to understand is what determines that is not talent and ability and skill set and intellect and money. What determines that is this. Will you be faithful to God? God is not looking for the most talented. He's looking for the most faithful. Will you be faithful? especially in situations that are difficult and hard. Because here's the thing. Every one of us are going to be in situations in life where the temptations and the push and the pressure to bend away from faithfulness is very strong. Right? You're going to have temptations from the inside pushing you to bend a little bit. You're going to have pressures from the outside pushing you to bend a little bit. What happens when society pushes against you and says, you don't have to believe that or do that? What happens when your family does that? It is easy to stand true to God's word until someone you love goes contrary to it and expects you to stay quiet. That's when it gets hard. What will you do? Will we be men and women who are faithful? Men and women who stay true to God and his word. God uses men and women who are true and faithful, regardless of the pressure, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the consequence, regardless of what it might mean. Are you that man? Are you that woman? Will you stand up as a just and righteous person and be faithful to God? Even when it hurts and even when it's hard. Another word that I think describes Joseph well is gracious. Because I want you to see what's happening. On one hand, Joseph is a just and righteous man and he knows God's word says this, so I must be faithful to it. And at the same time, though, he is a gracious, merciful, kind man. You see that also in verse 19, where he says, He was unwilling to put her to shame and resolved to divorce her quietly. The word shame means to display someone or something publicly. Joseph didn't want to make a public spectacle of Mary. He was genuinely concerned for her. And again, think about Joseph. It's easy for us to kind of emotionally separate. He was a normal man who loved the woman that he was betrothed to marry. Joseph wanted to spend the rest of his life with this woman. 
And again, it's easy for us to look at it from our perspective and go, well, God did it. So just real quick, imagine. You're Joseph. Mary comes up to you and says, all right, so Joseph, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Um, bad news is I'm pregnant. Good news is God did it, so it's okay. What do you think the response of Joseph is? Oh, well, then that makes total sense, right? Well, of course. No. He is completely convinced at this moment right now that Mary was unfaithful to him. He is completely convinced right now that she cheated on him and is now pregnant with some other man's baby. Put yourself there. This is exactly where Joseph is thinking. And all of the anger and hurt and brokenheartedness and fear and, and frustration that you would feel, he is feeling. All of that is welling up inside of him. He probably threw a few hammers thinking, what is happening? But here's what he did, though. He opted to show grace. It says there that he resolved to divorce her quietly. So there were sort of two options for Joseph at this point. Um, he could do a public divorce. What that would mean is bringing formal charges of infidelity against Mary. She would be brought publicly before the entire community. There would be an open trial. She would be found guilty of adultery, and she would spend the rest of her life completely marked and destroyed reputation-wise. And he had every legal and biblical right to do that. That would have lined up absolutely fine with everything the Scripture says he is able to do. He would not have been wrong to do that. He would not have been unkind to do that. He had every right to do it. But there was a second option. It says here, it uses the uh, resolve to divorce her quietly. The second option would be no public trial, no public shame. You very quietly bring in two or three witnesses, write out a divorce decree like you see in Deuteronomy chapter 24. You don't even have to write on the divorce decree why you're getting divorced. It's just very quiet, very hush-hush. The relationship needs to be resolved. He doesn't think that he can trust her. He thinks that she's been unfaithful. He's stepping away from the relationship. But he wants to show her grace and let her move on with her life. Even though he's feeling anger and frustration, even though in him he may believe that she deserves some kind of consequence, he is desiring to show her grace. What about you? God uses gracious people. God opted to place Jesus in the care of Joseph because he knew Joseph was a gracious man. Why does God use gracious people? Because God's a gracious God. 
right? This is the whole point. Grace is not getting what you rightfully deserve. Yes, you committed this sin. Yes, you hurt this person. Yes, you did this thing. And you deserve X, Y, Z punishment. But grace is you are not given what you deserve. You're given forgiveness and mercy instead. Why does God do that? God uses gracious people because grace changes us. And I hear people say things like, well, I can't forgive that person because they've hurt me. Listen, we have to understand that inherent within forgiveness and grace is the fact that someone hurt you. Right? You don't, you don't show grace to someone who's acted perfectly towards you. You have to show grace to someone. Inherent in grace is the understanding that they are legitimately wrong. They're wrong. They said something they should not have said. They did not say something that they should have said. They did something they should not have done. They did not do something that they should have done. Whatever it is, they have committed some kind of act towards you. And while they may deserve anger and ire and consequence, we obviously showed them grace. Grace. Grace changes us. Uh, This week, in my quiet time, I've been meditating all week on Luke 6. It's just been where the Lord has had me. And I want to read a couple of verses to you that I've just been stewing on all week long. Luke 6, 35 and 36. Jesus says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be be merciful even as your father is merciful. Look at the way it's describing us and how we respond to people. Love your enemy. Your enemy. It's a very strong word there. Most of us don't have enemies. You may have people that said dumb things, but that's not your enemy. You may have people that acted foolishly, but they're not your enemy. He takes it a step farther. Love those who actively want to see your harm. That's the next level thing, correct? Love your enemy. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. I don't expect you to respond. I don't expect you to reciprocate. I don't expect to be kind to you and just assume that you're going to be kind back. Expecting nothing in return. Uh, Down in verse 36, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Why? Verse 35 is going to say, your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. The way that we show that we're sons and daughters of God, (coughs) think about DNA, right? Physical DNA. Whenever I go home to South Carolina, I'll walk through the grocery store And some random person will walk up to me and say, I don't know who you are, but I know who you belong to. Right? I can can just see it. Why? Genes and chromosomes, man. DNA, it is undefeated. You can't beat it. That physical DNA is passed from father, mother, to child. Equally, it's a spiritual DNA. 
as sons and daughters of God, spiritual DNA is placed inside of us so that we now look like God. We act like God. And there's no way that you act more like God than when you are gracious and forgiving. Gracious and forgiving. And there's no way that we act more like the evil one than when we're bitter and unforgiving. Brothers and sisters, God used Joseph because he chose to be a gracious man. God uses gracious men and gracious women. He can trust you because he knows people around you are going to say and do wrong things, evil things, hurtful things, and he wants to use men and women who will be gracious in the midst of that. Are you that? Third word that I think describes Joseph here is obedience. You see this in verse 24. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. As you see the life of Joseph and what little snippet that we have, everything he was commanded to do, he immediately did. Even down to Caesar commanding him to go to Bethlehem for the census, knowing that it's going to be hard on his pregnant wife, he still did it anyway. He obeys always and perfectly. Why does God use obedient people? Can I just ask you just real quick, just personal reflection, think about it for a second. Would you consider yourself an obedient man and an obedient woman to God? Would you classify yourself as that right here, right now? I'm obedient. God tells me to do something, and I do it. God tells me not to do something, and I don't do it. I'm obedient. Why is obedience so important? Because. The true mark of spiritual maturity, listen to me. The true mark of spiritual maturity is not knowledge. It is obedience. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, teaching them knowledge to obey everything that I've commanded you. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says the way you show your love for God is by obeying Him. First John says if you don't obey God, you say that you know Him, but you're really a liar. Do you obey? When God says to do something, do you do it? God uses obedient people. And then the last thing I want you to see that God uses is a humble person. Joseph was humble. Verse 25 says he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. So he married Mary, but did not have any physical relationship with her until after she gave birth to Jesus. And then Joseph spent the rest of his life having to hear people talk junk about him. I mean, just think about it. I mean, it's like us today. You know, counting to nine isn't difficult, right? If uh, someone um, gets married in April and then in June they're seven months pregnant, it's like, right? We can do basic math. You know when something just went, ah, that doesn't sound right. Same thing with Mary and Joseph. They lived the rest of their lives with people saying, ah, something about that isn't right, man. 
Ah, that math isn't adding up. They didn't have their full marriage until this time, but now she's having a baby? So Joseph went the rest of his life with people assuming that he was either weak, he knows what that girl did, and he's just standing around doing nothing about it. He thought it was stupid. He genuinely thinks it's his kid. That guy's dumb. Or they thought he was immoral. You know what? I bet Joseph and Mary, I bet they had sex before they got married, and now he's going to pretend like it wasn't his. Can you believe that jerk? Why don't you just own up to it? Can you imagine Joseph walking through the streets with Mary and Jesus and everybody whispering around them? can't believe they're actually pretending like that's his kid. Have you ever felt that desire in you welling up where you wanted so desperately to push back on someone, to defend yourself, to set them straight, to tell them right, to put them in their place? Just kind of welled up inside you. Can you imagine that had to well up in Joseph over and over and over again as he heard the sly comments and he heard the snickers and he heard the rumors and he heard the insinuations. He must have thought a thousand times, let me tell you this. Never did. Why? Because he was a humble man. You know what humble men and women do? They do not feel the need to defend themselves. They trust God to defend them. They do not feel the need to stand up and set everybody straight. I'm just going to trust God. Um, you know, it's supposed to rain today. So when it does, here's your. Bible lesson. I want you to go outside and I want you to look at your yard and I want you to see the places in your yard that's filling up with water. It'll be the holes, it'll be the ditch, it'll be the little valley. Why is that? Water fills up the low places first. Same thing with God. Just like water fills the low places first, the Holy Spirit fills the low people first. Humble people get filled with the Spirit of God. Prideful people get rejected by God. He rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When God wants to do a special work, a mighty work, a supernatural work, a miraculous work, he always finds someone who's humble and obedient and gracious and righteous, just like Joseph. God wants to do a great work. Listen to me very carefully. God wants to do a great thing. And he's not looking for the people that this world would say are the most talented, the most influential, the most important. Joseph never had any of those things. He never checked any of those boxes. But he was a righteous man, a gracious man, an obedient man, a humble man. And God used him. And God desires to use you. God desires to use you. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, when he was traveling from England back to the U.S., he was on a ship from London to New York. And as he's traveling across the Atlantic Ocean, this thought pops in his mind. The world has yet to see what one man 
completely surrendered to God can really do. God, let me be that man. The world has yet to see what one man completely surrendered to God can do. God, let me be that man. And the whole trek across the Atlantic Ocean, he just walked back and forth, pacing on that ship, repeating that to himself over and over and over again. The world is yet to see what one man completely surrendered to God can really do. God, let me be that man. My question for us here today, do we have men and women here who will say, I may not be able to lead thousands. I may not be able to stand and speak in front of scores of people. I may not write a book that anyone reads. No one may view me as influential and important in this world. But I desire to be a man. I desire to be a woman completely surrendered to God and just see what he can do with that. And I pledge today that I will seek to live righteous and faithful to God. And I will be a man and a woman filled with grace toward those who do not deserve it. And I will be immediately obedient to everything God tells me to do. And the second I realize I'm not being obedient, I will immediately confess and repent. And I will walk in humility because it's not about me. It's all about Him. If we would have a group of people in this room right now that would say that's what I desire to be in my life, man, that's the kind of people God uses. Simple, normal, unassuming. You're going to get up tomorrow morning. You're going to go to work. You're going to work hard all day for the glory of God. You're going to come home. You're going to love your family all for the glory of God. And you're going to seek to be faithful, gracious, and obedient, and humble. And just trust God that he'll do the rest. That is what he's calling us to. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. I want to pray for us. Our band is going to sing for us, and I'm going to ask you just remain where you are, seated and pray. Just a chance for you just to ask the Lord to drill these truths deep into your hearts trusting Him so Jesus I pray today that by your grace you would raise up here in this room men and women who are not going to give any more excuses who are not going to think that they can never accomplish great things for your glory. But they're going to understand today, God's just called me to live faithful in the life that he's given me. And he's going to do a great work through that. I thank you for the giants of the faith that are sitting in this room right now. They just don't know it yet. And they're going to live as giants in the faith by simply being righteous, gracious, Obedient and humble. And you're going to work miracles through them. Thank you, God. Do this in us. In your name, Jesus.
end our time here today. Again, if you're a guest with us, my wife and I, we'd love to meet you in the back and connect with you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for your life. We thank you, Jesus, that you came and died on the cross for our sin to make us sons and daughters of God so that we can live righteous and gracious and obedient and humble. You made that even possible for us, Jesus. Thank you. And I thank you, God, that you use men like Joseph. And I thank you that you are still looking for men and women who carry on the line of Joseph, just simply seeking to live lives of righteousness and graciousness and obedience and humility. Raise up a mighty army of those people in this church. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.